five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello and a very warm welcome to Five in the Eye, your weekly review of the news. I'm Phil Woodford in London. This is episode 0286 and you're listening to Colourful Radio. And this is me, Michael Ohajuru, joining Phil by Zoom this week and revealing that our top story is going to be a very sad and a a personal one. It's the tragic death of Paul Lawrence, the community activist, businessman. He was the co-founder of the 100 Black Men of London. We'll talk about his contribution and remind ourselves of his appearance on Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. For story number two, we ask how far politicians and public figures are entitled to privacy. There's an ugly trend in the US for activists to find out their private addresses and turn up outside, intimidating not just them, but also members of their family. For story number three, how far should drama based on the true life events actually reflect reality? You may not think it matters too much, but with a new rock opera based on the career of the former Labour Prime Minister, Tony Blair, big friend of my co-host, Phil. But what about other shows we watch on TV? Are they misinterpreting the past? That's story number three. And what's number four this week? Well, you knew already that government ministers had deemed scotch eggs a substantial meal if you were drinking in a tier two pub. But did you realise that demand for the pork delicacies had increased tenfold in the period since? I love a scotch egg, I do. And finally this week, we discuss the man who claimed to be so in love with his girlfriend that he rode a jet ski all the way from Scotland to the Isle of Man just to be with her. He's now doing a stretch in jail. Just as well she wasn't in America. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. I'm going to kick off uh, the show this week with a very, very sad story, a very personal story. It's the death of Paul Lawrence, the sudden death. Paul, for me, was a top, top bloke, top, top man. He was a, a role model, a businessman. He was a wit, an intellect, and the man who he didn't take any prisoners. And we had him on the show. He did a piece that inspired us or inspired me to have him on the show when he talked about the failure of capitalism in the time of COVID and socialism is the real answer, real, real answer. So I just want to remember Paul because he was a, a real, a, one of the great stalwarts of the, the black community here in, in London, a great leader, role model, all those things. And we're just going to play the piece that he did with us a while ago now on uh, Five in the Eye when he talked about uh, capitalism and coronavirus. Five in the eye. Well, we, we, we have to lead on this show with, 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 with an old friend of mine, Paul Lawrence, because he did a very penetrating uh, post on face on 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 face on Facebook. But he looked at what's going on here with this with this um, coronavirus, not from a health point of view, but from an economic point of view. Paul looked at is this the death of capitalism? Was socialism right all along? And capitalism is failing us. And it really chimed with me. Paul, I believe somebody actually copied your uh, your your post <laughs> and, 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 and added and, and masqueraded as their own. So for yes. me, it says many things about the death of capitalism. So, Paul, come on, give, give us your view on, 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 on coronavirus and capitalism and its future. I just I just thought that, um, you know, we, we've been living in, in what we've been told is a a nice, pure, market forces-driven capitalist state for the last nine to ten years. And here we have a, a crisis, here we have a, a national problem, and the capitalist system doesn't seem prepared for it. 
it doesn't seem to have any bandwidth to deal with it. And all the strategies that are being put in place sort of look very socialist. Sort yeah, of exactly. It's like, and 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 it's 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 just saying to me that, and I mentioned this in the article that we we had this slogan quite recently, you know, not for the few but for the many, and it seems that capitalism has really shown that it is just for the few because when something affects the many, it can't cope. That's interesting you say, but you no, know, because we've never been great fans of Jeremy Corbyn, you know, not for the few, not for the many. But, you know, there's, a, there's an element of truth in that when it really comes down to it, as we have right now, where this money can't buy you a cure now. It's it about, can't. It's about us as a how we as a people, not, 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 not just local people, internationally, we get together to, to solve this problem. You know, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think you know, crises do show the weaknesses in the system that we in which we live and how fragile it is. You know, I mean, look for instance at the um, the panic buying. Well, I mean, we'll come on to that in a bit more detail probably later on. Uh, look at how the economy has been rocked by the the coronavirus, and no amount of intervention by government seems to be making much of a difference. And this is where, you know, I, I, I kind of have mixed feelings. I think that uh, undoubtedly capitalism proves itself inadequate to the challenge here. Um, it, we, we turn to the state, don't we, in times of crisis? And one way of looking at this could be a little bit like in the Second World War, much more state control, much more state direction and ownership during a time of crisis. And then afterwards, 1945, uh, we kept a lot of that stuff. Um, but there's another part of me that says, well, um, isn't it the case really that Many of the technologies that scientists are using to fight this virus, many of the technologies that we use to communicate about the spread of the virus, they've all been born from capitalism. And the things that, um, I mean, capitalism both is both a blessing and a curse, isn't it? I, I guess, yes, that's certainly one way to look at it. But if you, if you consider the very foundations of, of capitalism and, you know, the sort of rhetoric that was used, in, in, in the lurch to the left that Corbyn, um, you know, offered, it was words like the magic money tree. Well, well, clearly, the capitalists <laughs> have a magic money tree. When, fair point, fair point. Good, well, good point, yeah. So, so, so what we have to look at it in, in the context of, you know, we have been pushing from what they call big government to smaller government, less intervention, but it only works when there's no, no problems. When there is a problem, when there's a social problem, mm. which which hits the people, yeah, what you point, need, yeah. and what, what Boris and crew are currently doing quite fluidly right now, is they are going for the big government option, the interventions options. They've even gone as far as to say they will take over private-run healthcare facilities to provide beds. That's well, no, but Paul, I, no, I was going to pick. I was going to pick that one up. I sort of figure. Now, correct me here. Twenty-four million pounds they're going to pay to the private sector, so we could look after, so we could take over private beds. Whereas in Spain, they're just saying, "Hello, we're taking those private beds over." Yeah, I'm going to believe that was the figure. Um, I mean, it, it's um, about three hundred quid per bed per night. But, but, but hang on, should we pay end, for that? No, should, should we pay for that? To, to Paul's point, come on. 
Well, I mean, the, the alternative, I mean, yeah, we could requisition them. We could Thank pass you. emergency legislation and reg- requisition the beds. And it, it might happen. I mean, it might, yeah, it, it might, yeah, happen. I suspect the reason it's not is that the government probably wants to keep private healthcare providers broadly, you know, the goodwill and, and, and once they're helped Why? by someone. Well, the ethos of capitalism. We have to keep the private sector happy. And if it means that we, the people, pay for the services that we used to get through our social services, we will pay. I am not even so upset about paying for private beds. What I am upset about is public money being used to bail out private companies who probably last year paid dividends. No, 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 can I say, Paul, you're so on, so on the money. You know, Olive, who's been on the show a couple of weeks ago, talked about um, Branson. And Branson was complaining about the airline industry. Virgin needs several billion pounds, you've got to help us. But to your point, Paul, these, these guys are cash rich. They're well sorted, but they're saying to the government, you've got to help us. We need the money. You know, we're, 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 you know, we're, de- we're going to lay off our, 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 a couple of thousand people. And it's like the government's been held to ransom. And for me, what happens in this kind of um, talk is the smaller man, the smaller company, the smaller three or four man companies, they, they don't get a look in. This yeah, but I mean, the, the when when boys. the banks when when the banks were bailed out, I yeah. used to hear a lot of talk about okay, we can bail out the banks, but why can't we bail out industry? Um, and for instance, why not the steel industry and so on? And when it comes, but then you're saying when it comes to the airline industry, we wouldn't do that. We, we, we suddenly, you know, to, to, to Paul's point, the magic money tree arrives. Well, yeah, no, I completely agree about completely agree about the magic money tree. I mean, the, 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 but I, I'm not quite sure on what criteria we're deciding which uh, businesses we we do bail out and which ones we don't. Okay, okay. Um, so no, no, so, so look, I'm, I'm going to be rude and pick you up on this. But what we're saying is those cash rich big companies, and they have been cash rich. We know this because they're not invested, and for the last couple of years, they've got money. They can survive. They're the same ones that are coming to the government and saying, look, we need your help. But then, and I don't think it's an either or in terms of the airlines or the banks or big industry. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a wider problem. They mm. have these big companies, irrespective of the area that they are in, that over the years have either been privatized or have been supported in the good capitalist ideal. And here they are now faced with a crisis where, well, what, three weeks into it? Yeah. And they're collapsing left, right, and center. And they would have told us, they would have been at the forefront of any argument which was stated, look, socialism, you know, that's bad for business. But their business practice yeah. can't sustain three weeks. We got months to go in this. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think all your points are reasonable. But then I would look to Germany and Lufthansa went to the German government and has asked for billions of uh, euros. And the German government is supporting Lufthansa. And um, are we saying that the German government um, is is wrong? Um, or are we saying that the, the German government is probably right? They're thinking towards the future. They're thinking of a world in which other airlines have gone to the wall. And Lufthansa is still there. And are they being more far-sighted about it? And that's fine. That's fine. The Germans, like the British, have the right to protect their industries. But we have to ask the question, what is at the expense of that? Because what we don't have, we don't have a very strongly funded NHS. Mm-hmm. Now what is needed and what is required. And so in the years before this incident, where were, where were we focusing our government money? We were focusing our government money 
on private business. But we, we, I mean, we just had 10 years of austerity, you know, balanced budgets, you know, fixing the roof while the rain, while the sun's shining and all that rubbish. And now that's, that, that's been found to be so facile and wanting. And just for me, let me be cynical here, that was just protecting the capitalists. That was them looking after themselves. With the poor people, the National Health Service suffered. And we're seeing the consequences of that right now. You know, so we've got to rethink. And for me, if there's any upside, hopefully we'll talk about this later on, we're going to rethink the way that National Health is, is funded, the way we, way, way government is funded, the way the economy works. Because this is, this is, this is the, the rules have changed. Because, you know, the, 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 yeah, but, I mean, Michael, you, you'll find, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, I think this 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 crisis challenges us all. It's going to challenge us on much bigger issues, even than the ones we're talking about. For instance, on the whole issue of climate change and uh, whether we, uh, if we can get together as a world and confront a crisis like this, and we see how perilous and fragile our life and our existence is, how we uh, how we we need to unite on climate change, which I think will be a big possible outcome of this. But you know, the the, the reality is that. Um, uh, the, the left points to Europe and they point to the countries um, that have operated different models to us over the past few years. I'm afraid none of them are going to cope very well with this coronavirus crisis. Um, that This is an overwhelming problem. And I think I, I'm I'm just a little bit reluctant to for this to become kind of a, a game of political point scoring at this stage. Oh, no, I'm going to say, but, you know, we, 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 we've got to finish on this, but I've got to let our guest have the last point to come back to that <laughs> political point scoring. I don't, I don't agree with you on that, Phil. I'm sorry, but 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 Paul, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll let you have the last point. I I, I do think uh, Phil has a point. It, it should not oh, be. Oh, no, I got a sec. Oh, no, hold on, hold on. Should Paul? Paul is my kind of guest, Michael. <laughs> Shouldn't be about political point scoring, but we cannot overlook the last nine, nine and a half years yeah. and the way that the service, which is now at the forefront of supporting our communities, our our country, were treated. We, we can't ignore that. And mm-hmm. the people. So, you know, when we talk about the nurses, we talk about the care workers. You know, four weeks ago, the conversation was being had was that care workers are unskilled. Yes, it's good point. And that was four weeks ago. And now we desperately need them. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you on that score. I mean, the, the whole um, the, the, the whole culture and the way that people have been treated in uh, very demanding, low-paid jobs, I mean, that is being challenged very seriously here. And um, the, 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 the lack of support network for them once they, they lose their jobs, suddenly everyone finds themselves in a position where they might – lose their work or they might be self-isolating because of the disease and and so on and where does their next money come from you know these issues all coming to the fore all the champions of the zero hour contracts are silent live in the eye story number two this week is about politicians and their private lives because in the united states particularly although this isn't confined to the u.s michael we find that um sometimes uh, Activists are able to get hold of people's personal details, maybe publish them, and then it allows, um, you know, people with better or worse motivations, and, you know, it will vary from case to case, to, to perhaps go to their homes and protest. And, you know, you, know, you could say, well, 
if they were protesting against a politician you didn't like and perhaps you know we might say someone of the extreme right or someone who supported Trump is that a terrible thing but there have been cases recently where people who are opposed for instance to coronavirus regulations are um, putting pressure on members of health boards and so on um, and perhaps leaving their children feeling intimidated that can't be right, can it? And and what can we do to stop this phenomenon where so much public information can easily get into into the the, the wider domain? I guess first, Phil, we cannot stop people finding out people's addresses. If you're a public figure, and even often sometimes a private figure, we can find out where you live. You can profile you, thanks to Google. You know, we're, we're, very few of us can hide now. Very few of us can. There are some they can pay enough. They can they can do this, but very few of us can hide. And this was brought to my this what brought this to my attention was uh, was two stories. There was one in my home, my hometown Liverpool where where uh, Derek Hatton's uh, luxury luxury cars, his Mercedes and his Range Rovers, had been firebombed off of someone set fire to on his doorstep. And then there was a story in America of this was a a, a counselor. She was in a council meeting. And a 12-year-old son was a home alone, a son or daughter was a home alone, and there were people outside out protesting because she was she was pro-masks. And there were anti-maskers outside her house where the 12-year-old was home alone. Now, this is wrong, Phil. This is wrong. You know, this is a breakdown of democracy. You know, the thing, because un, un, underpinning democracy is a sense of common decency. Okay, I mean, you, I, I, I take your point about, you know, it's possible if you want to find this information out, you can find it out. I understand that. There is a phenomenon on the web, though, that's described as doxing, yeah, which is yeah. when people will deliberately publish and make more widely available people's personal details and addresses. And I think that is completely unacceptable. And the, the social media platforms have a responsibility to try to prevent that. I, I, I also wanted to just put a point to you that, you know, is there a danger with all of this that if it's um, someone we don't think very highly of, let's say the figure who's being um, doorstepped is Dominic Cummings, for example, we kind of shrug our shoulders and move on. Um, and then, and, and, but when it's someone that we're more sympathetic to, we uh, take a different point of view. And isn't that hypocritical? No. No, I said it's all about you know, the, the words that you use, the way you use the media. Well, sometimes the media can bite you back. Dominic comes. I, I think he was he was notorious or is notorious for using the media with that famous conference in in the Rose Garden, not the Rose. Is it the Rose Garden in in the in, in um, the cabinet office? And he he denied or not not denied. He rationalised his trip up north. He he used the media. So these people who use the, the, the media uh, expect to be bitten by the media or bitten by the common man. So I, I'm sorry for that. I cannot. I, I cannot um... So there's a difference maybe. Okay, look, I'm just trying to tease this out a little bit, Michael. There's a difference between the media turning up at your door, and we saw it with Dominic Cummings. We saw it repeatedly, say, with the, the former Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, the media would gather around his house. and what You're saying that's different from maybe activists or people with a political perspective who are campaigning on an issue turning up. Well, not, not activists, Phil, but people who use the media. 
people who are talented, people who, who employ PR agencies to use the media. So you, you expect that. And you're going to say, well, how do you differentiate? You know, this is difficult, Phil. This is difficult. But I do know when I look at the, the Derek Hatton, he was not backward and forward and coming and using the media back in the day and militant. Mm. I'm thinking of uh, Lady Diane. She was not backward and coming and using the media. But equally, she was as manipulative as as, as your man Blair. And, yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, at, the end, at the end of the day, I'm I, I'm I'm no great fan of, of of Derek Hatton. He's a big figure in Liverpool politics and and socialist politics from from a, from another era. But in no way is it acceptable um, that he has been targeted by you know people who have done damage to his cars and so on. I mean, that is dangerous. It's intimidation, isn't it? Yeah. No, what I'm saying is. To know his address, he cannot hide. Is it you know this right to privacy? Liverpool, Liverpool's a small place, I guess, and people kind of know where Dexy yeah, hangs it, out. Exactly. And so on, but it's yeah. not just Liverpool's a small place. The internet is a small place. Mm. We can find out where you are. My concern about this, on a personal basis, is you know it, it brings us all down. It brings us all down. Those, those mobs outside, you know, politicians' houses. And initially, I thought. Well, we don't do that in Britain, but we've done, <laughs> the moment I said the bump bang, we've done it there in, in Liverpool. So this is a, it's an, an undercurrent in society that says, well, if I can't get recompense through the normal way, so I'm going to go down to his house and set fire to it. You know, Phil, that is not the way to go because the next step, the next steps are not good. Well, I remember another incident that I I remember. Do you you recall when uh, there was that big debate over when we should trigger Article 50 and um, Theresa May wanted to press the button herself and other people said, no, Parliament should do it. And it all went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said Parliament should do it. The Daily Mail published pictures of the judges on their yeah, front cover. They said, en- they said enemies of the people. Do you remember that? And, yeah. and you know, at the time, people were saying to identify these guys, to make their... I mean, if, if we'd wanted to, we could go online, we could go to a library, we could find information about them. But there's something different and disturbing, isn't there, about people deliberately propagating this information in order perhaps that other people would take advantage of it and do something really um, horrible or, 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 or illegal. I know it comes back to your doxing, you know, should, should Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and immediately clamp down when you publish an address, stop it. But you can't do that, Phil. You know, it's an address is an address. You know, okay, it's a high-profile politician who's saying controversial things on the one hand, and you know, it, it, it may be an, an outspoken young person militating against something the government is doing. So you can't, you know, you're going to say, have you got an answer to this, Michael? The short answer is no. The long answer, though, is education, education, education. Five in the eye. Well, Michael was talking about education, 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 and that brings us very neatly to story number three, which is about a new rock opera. It's only going to appear for a short time on the stage uh, in in February, um, coronavirus permitting. And it's, it's based on the former uh, career of Labour Prime Minister Tony Blair, and it's called Tony. Exclamation mark! Now, when when this was uh, this new rock opera was trailed, um, 
the, the reporting suggested that perhaps it was playing a little fast and loose with with reality. For instance, you know, characters like Osama bin Laden are appearing. I'm not sure Tony Blair ever really um, w w w was on that great terms with with, with bin Laden, was he? No, I, I feel I love this. Tony Blair, Osama bin Laden, George Bush, <laughs> Lady Diana. Come on, man. These are great, these are towering figures. And we all know we've all got a view on them. You know, we've got to see this. What's the connection? Even if there isn't one, the fact that they're there on the, the same headline, there's got to be one. There's got to be one. It, it, got, it got us talking, though, didn't it, about how far we expect fictional events that have some relationship to real world events. How far do we really expect them to tell the truth? And, and you know, the, another issue that's arisen recently, perhaps more significant than this Tony Blair rock opera, is the Netflix series The Crown. And some people have been complaining, particularly in the latest season, which we're right, we're, we're getting closer to the present day. We're into the 1980s and it's Margaret Thatcher and, and all of that stuff. Um, people are saying, actually, uh, hold on a second. This isn't what really happened and i suppose the response from the producers of the show would be well um look folks wake up and smell the coffee this is tv what what's your take on that michael well Phil, no, I'm, I'm 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 comfortable with what netflix are doing because for, for two reasons the first the royal family it's a fabrication it's a soap opera it's a drama which they have created themselves they're a self-fulfilling prophet. You know, <laughs> self-fulfilling. They they write the script themselves. They do. So I'm sorry. I've got no sympathy whatsoever. And when you think, if you, the alternative, Phil, is we go back to Shakespeare's days, when Shakespeare had to give all his plays to the Lord Chamberlain to make sure everything was okay. So is that what you're suggesting? Well, well I mean, the, the the thing there would be that they that those plays would give a very partial version of history, of course, and it was the approved version at the time. In you know, in order that uh, in, in, <laughs> in Michael, you're raving very animatedly. Oh, when you say partial view of history, all history is partial. You yeah, cannot yeah, yeah, yeah. be in partial well, history. Yeah, I, I'm I, sorry, I, 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 history in itself. You know, by virtue of the fact you're writing it, it it's your view. Yeah, of course. I mean, and it, I think there's, a, there's, an accept, there's an acceptance. No, but there's an acceptance, isn't there? But no, no, there is. There's a dramatic, a dramatic interpretation of something is not going to reveal the full truth of history to you. And I think people realise that. I, I mean, I, I, I really do. And so I, I think the crown. I mean, I've started watching the crown from the beginning, and I admit I've only watched about half a dozen episodes. It's actually very good. Really? Um, I mean, but I wouldn't. Uh, we're further back in time, so this is not a period where I think even you were alive. Oh no, well, you may, maybe the tail end you were, yeah. <laughs> but but the, the the thing is, I mean, I I know as I watch it that I'm not watching the literal truth. I'm watching something that's designed to be entertaining and dramatic, and there are elements of the truth peppered throughout it. Elements of the truth peppered throughout it. That's exactly it. So calm down. You know, there's a bit of truth there, but you know, it's entertainment. It's television. Television is entertainment. There's an advert coming that, that's why they want you to stay watching. So these people who are saying, you know, what to say, this is a doc, this is a, this is not a, democ a documentary. You know, who said documentaries were true? Mm -hmm. You know, it comes back to your statement: partial history. 
History is all is fundamentally partial. Fundamentally. I, I, I'm also a great believer in the fact that you know truth is stranger than fiction sometimes as well. And if you did, if you went to Netflix and watched Tiger King, for instance, which was a genuine documentary, there was stuff in that show that was so bizarre you wouldn't believe it was you true. Have to help, if you, me now. If anyone... help me and three thousand others. Tiger King. <laughs> Tiger King was the big hit of the uh, the first lockdown. It's about um, the the feud between people who own big cat um, sanctuaries in, in in the states. You're a bit behind the times, Michael. This was this is early 2020 lockdown material. What are you talking? I'm, 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 I'm lost here. All right. Okay. Well, I I, I think our, our listeners will our listeners will know Michael, okay, okay, okay. and they'll be they'll be they'll be wondering where you've been. What rock you've been hiding under during 2020 that you never heard of what Tiger rock King? rock I've been under? Well, okay, I'm enjoying my friend under my rock because I see history my way. I'm very comfortable with my interpretation of history, my view on history. You know, so I'm very happy with it indeed. So as far as Tony Blair and his, this um, rock opera, bring it on, Osama Bin Laden. Did you know Diana in Osama Bin Laden? Was there something going on there? Live in the eye. Our, our, our third story this week. Or even, our, or even our fourth one. You've done it again. You love catching me on that. You do. Our fourth story this week is one of my favourite, favourite snacks. And for me, it's a snack. It's a scotch egg. And, and apparently there was some debate in Parliament, would you believe, was what consists, what constitutes a substantial meal? Now, and apparently it's a scotch egg served at a table. So there's two two components critical. First, the scotch egg it has to be served at a table. Can I say this is the nonsense you get for having um, lawyers and uh, reporters as politicians? They're looking for the headline and what they can say to the judge to say that this is a, a meal. This is complete nonsense. I mean, to, to me, the, the classic Scotch egg is small. I mean, it's like, you know, norm, normally I, I, I would say, you know, it's got, uh, you know, it's maybe a few centimetres across. It's not. It's not. It's a, big a bit thing, bigger it? than an egg. Well, it's just a little, it's an egg and it's got a little bit of sausage meat around it and a little bit of breadcrumbs, but it's not a lot bigger than that. Now you do get some fancy Scotch eggs. And, and these would be the kinds of things they would serve in the kind of, you know, gastro pubs that you would frequent, Michael, where, where, where maybe they would kind of um, serve it up with a flourish of, of, of leaves on the side or something like that. Well, but, but, can I say the challenge is with, with, with the yolk is not quite set. <laughs> where the yolk is quite not, not quite set. That's the most beautiful. It's a little warm with, some, with a nice salad on the side. Just mwah. I'm, I'm gonna, but, but, you must be worried because demand for scotch eggs has increased tenfold apparently since the government no, replied that they could it. be a substantial meal in a pub. And so you, aren't, you, aren't you concerned that there'll be a run on scotch eggs and you no, won't be able bring to get hold of them? They'll make more of them. One of my favourite ones, that there's a pepper, there's a chilli pepper scotch egg and it's just a delight, absolute delight. So I'm a huge fan of scotch eggs. you're going to be telling me there are chocolate coated ones next or you know ones with peanut butter in the middle or something like that uh, how many variations on scotch eggs are uh, scotch eggs are there <laughs> michael is silent i think i've committed some sacrilege by exactly exactly it's a deep fried deep fried that's all the, that that nuttiness on the outside it's like a meringue you know you got that crunchy on the outside soft on the inside yeah. you know come on yeah, nuttiness on the outside, softness on the inside. I could almost be describing you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> that was a joke. Five in the eye. Finally this week, story number five. We go to the Isle of Man, where um, a fellow has been thrown in jail because he rode a jet ski over from Scotland to see his girlfriend that he'd met while he was doing a roofing job on the island. And um, he thought that this trip was going to take him about 40 minutes, whereas in fact, it took him four hours. So just as well, he had enough kind of fuel to get him over there. And um, he then seemed to do some extraordinary walk from Ramsey to Douglas, which I think is about 15 miles across the island, to see his girlfriend. Eventually, the authorities tracked him down. Why were they so concerned? Because, believe it or not, the Isle of Man is COVID free and they don't do any of the social distancing and the masks and all the things that we do. And they had to, indeed, they turned their Christmas lights on. There were 8,000 people out in the streets all together having a party. So they don't want the corona brought in, do they, Michael? For me, this is a, a beautiful story in terms of how an island can keep coronavirus out. And they did. And he was allowed in a special visitor and he fell in love with this, doing this job for this lady. What was extraordinary about it? He had to leave the island and they wouldn't let him back in. His profile wasn't right. So love, come on, Phil, you didn't mention that love drove him. And I have to say, though, you know, it took him, he planned on it being 40 minutes. It was four hours. Four hours. Do you think he might have got a bit concerned once once the like the three hour mark had passed and he's in the middle of the Irish Sea? Don't you think he would be a bit concerned? I, I, I actually, the, the mats. He was thinking this thing was going to go forty miles an hour. Now, dream on, mate. Forty miles an hour on any on on a, on water. That's life threatening. <laughs> Serious speed. For, in actual fact, he was doing eight miles an hour. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so actually, he could have jogged over there in in about the same kind of speed. But then, but Phil, it gets even better. He then walked fifteen miles. Yeah, I mean that is that is real love, isn't it? There's Come no on. question about. How did they know he'd arrived, Michael? How did they? Was he spotted, or was it? I guess he was spotted. You know, because mm. the other. I guess oh, that's my understanding. Is he, he was spotted, and he was. Um, and he then they kind of they, they kind of tracked him down. But um, just, I mean, I I I do think it's. You know, just just as well, his girlfriend wasn't further away, because uh, you know what? What, oh, what if, what if she'd been? What if she'd been in the Isles of Scilly or somewhere like that? I mean, that would have been a that would have been a right escapade. The things, the, but Phil, the things we do for love, the things we do for love. And I, I was well impressed. That that, that fifty mile walk that that that, that struck me. And it was really impressive. What what was the interesting now, Phil? Is it permanent? After four weeks, will she still be there for him? Will he be there for her? You know, he's got I, a criminal record now. He, come, he's, he's, we, he's, he's done a stretch in stir, hasn't this, he? This, this is, we, we want to get our five in the eye intern on this case to follow it through in a month's time. Maybe we, maybe we need to talk to this couple. Maybe get an invite to the wedding. <laughs> to the wedding. Somehow, I have to be honest with you, you know, I don't think so. But who, who am I to say? Who am I to say? I just wish them the best of luck. Particularly him for that that love in your heart. You know, when a man is driven. You know, there's, there's a song by Percy Sledge, When a Man Loves a Woman. Come on. Turn his back on his best friend if he put her down. Come on. Celebrating five years of Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. Well, that's it for another week and another year. Next Friday is, of course, Christmas Day which means we'll have a special selection of shows for you here on Colourful. 
and the week after that it's new year of course so check out the schedule to see the great festive lineup we'll be back in 2021 with more news more interviews and more insights we're hoping to bring in some very special guests too so watch this space it's been a crazy frenetic year but we hope we've helped you to make a little more sense of it and here's to some happier times ahead in 2021 for now this is me Michael Hujuru saying as ever if you have been thanks for listening and this is Phil Woodford reminding you to keep an eye on the news as you never know what we'll be discussing on next year's five in the eye goodbye five in the eye with Michael and Phil it's news but is it new